verses 12 through 28. As we consider verses 12 and 13 again this morning. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do what is good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, in the passage we started looking at last week was about those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. And we'll be continuing on that, looking at how we should honor such people. Before we look at that, though, let us ask the Lord's blessing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come before you to open your word, to consider the things that you have there for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive them, fill us with grace and wisdom and joy as we seek to know you better and to obey you more and to do whatever it is you have called us to do in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week when we started at this, we were looking at those who were over us in the Lord. And we studied and considered how the Jews in the time of Jesus were worshiping in synagogues. Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and preached the word to them. And the early church was simply a synagogue that worshiped Yahweh and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, we saw in James 2.2 that he refers to the church, the, the assembly of the believers, as the synagogue. Over time, though, the unbelieving apostate Jews continued to reject the word of God, continued to reject God, and blaspheme their, their Messiah and God, and drove out the believers, persecuted them, even to death. The apostate Jews did so much harm to the church that over time their Messiah gave them a new name, called them a synagogue, which means assembly as well, a synagogue or an assembly of Satan. And the believers meeting ended up taking on a new name, being called the Ecclesia, which we call church. We also considered how just as the synagogue was ruled by elders, 
So the early church continued that practice and were ruled by a plurality of elders, multiple elders, not one. And they had to meet very strict criteria, which we looked at in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 5 and in a few other places. They were required to have both an exemplary Christian character as well as a thorough knowledge of the word and of doctrine so that they could refute those who taught wrongly and they could encourage the believers rightly. Uh, Those who met the requirements, those who were called, those who were examined, those who passed their examination were then ordained, set apart to the service of God, just like in the Old Testament. And they would install, to to use words for our passage, to be over you in the Lord. And so that over you in the Lord is not just anybody who stands up and says, I'm going to be in charge here, or not just the guy in the pew next to you says, I'm now over you because you're wrong and I'm right. But to those who were certified to be knowledgeable and to have a calling from God to that office. We also considered the work of the elders, referred to in verse 12 as to admonish you. Their job was to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, 2 Timothy 4.2. And they do that in order for us to know our sins, repent of our sins, and walk with God properly so that he will be pleased with us. We also considered how they, their privileged position was not just one of privilege but of obligation considered how they will have to give an account for the souls of the flock, which the Holy Spirit had made them overseers. They would be like the watchman on the wall, warning the people of their sins. We read Ezekiel 33, 1-9. They direct them to know the Lord better. Paul said that he did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, and thus he was innocent of the blood of all men. Acts 20, 27. And 28, and that is really the calling of the elders to to preach the whole counsel of God, not to hide anything, not to be afraid of anything, not to shy away from anything, but to give it all to you for the purpose of you knowing God and walking with him more closely. And so having thoroughly identified who is meant by those who are over you in the Lord, we understand that to be the elders, we now need to move on to what he calls for their treatment He says that the believers are to respect them, pay attention to them, esteem them, value them as leaders in love because of their work. I want to start with because of their work, because that's the motivation for the behavior that goes before it. We talked a little about their work last time, and we'll talk some more this time. I'm covering it first because it is so important. The elders are the shepherds of the flock the under-shepherds of the flock. Remember in Titus chapter 2, Paul starts out with the words, As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Then after he lists all the basic sound doctrine that people are to consider and obey, down in verse 11 he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions to live self-controlled and upright godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And note verse 15, declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. That's from Titus chapter 2. Now note how the chapter begins and ends. Teach what accords with sound doctrine, verse 1, verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. In the, in the teaching of these things, of basically the things in the middle, the holy life, the way we should live because we belong to Christ, nobody should be allowed to ignore that, no one to disregard that. These are the instructions to Titus, but they're the pastor's work, including the training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, live self-right, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for that blessed hope. Remember my uh, title for the series on Thessalonian letters was Living for That Day, for the day when that blessed hope was revealed, when Christ returns for us, the believers, when we are raised from the dead if we are dead, and when we are joining him if we have not died. Live for that blessed day. And note that the job of the pastor was to repair them for that blessed day. Prepare them for when they will be with the Lord. Paul also says that he feels a divine jealousy for us. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2 And again, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Colossians 1.28 The pastor's work is teaching, is correcting, is rebuking, is exhorting, is admonishing. All of those things have a purpose. And that is to have us be able to be presented blameless on the day of the Lord. That we be right. That is the goal of every Christian, or should be, and the goal of the pastor, the purpose of the pastor, is to push people towards that, to advance them towards that thing, that goal. Now, that work, of course, garners both, much opposition both within and without the church. John says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5.19. The unbelievers are those who follow the course of this world, the following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2. 2. The world of the devil and the kingdom of God do not mix. They are at enmity with each other and always will be. And the world belongs to him. What Jesus told his disciples is especially true of elders those who are over you in the Lord. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But in all these things they will do, to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Setting it pretty boldly, the, the work of the church is the work of the Lord, 
and especially the work of the elders, the preachers and teachers, is the work that gets them in trouble with the world. Because we contradict everything it believes and everything it says. You remember my testimony. I said that I got to the point shortly after becoming a Christian where I threw my hands up in the air, said everything I know is wrong. Because I was reading through the Bible and it's like, that's the opposite of what I've always been taught. That's the opposite of what I've always believed as an atheist. Well, those who haven't had God move in their heart will be very angry and bitter towards those things. We should also consider why Paul writes those things to Titus in Titus chapter 2. We have to go back to Titus chapter 1. He's speaking of the elder. He says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. They get angry when they're rebuked or when they're contradicted for their false doctrine. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So even within the early church, there were many people who rejected authority, who talked nonsense, who deceived people with false doctrine. He mentions the biggest group in his day, the circumcision party. He says they must be silenced. If the church, the pastor tries to silence people, do you think they're happy? Not so much. They must be silenced since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans said, a prophet of their own, not a prophet of God, but a prophet of their sect, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Not just a rebuke, but a sharp rebuke can be needed. They should be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths or the commands of people who turn away from the truth. The word is truth. If they preach and teach against that or contrary to it, they should not be listened to. To the pure, all things are pure. Talking about the circumcision party and their Jewish ceremonial laws. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Remember, by our works we are known. Make a tree good and its works, or and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. You'll know them by their works, by their words, Jesus says, but here by their works. They are digestible disobedient and unfit for any good work. Titus 1, 9 through 16. Very harsh commands. A harsh calling. But one, if it was lived with, the church would be a lot better shaped than it is today and throughout history. What happens when the pastors and the elders stop doing that? Stop silencing the, the false doctrine? Stop Proving and rebuking the heresies. The heresies creep in, take over, and the church is destroyed, and the believers move on. Those who are left. It's a terrible and a sad thing. That's why Paul admonished Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They will not listen to the truth. They will not listen to the Bible. They will not listen to an elder who teaches and preaches from the Bible. They have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. 2 Timothy 4, 2-4 Men have itching ears. They want doctrine. They want preaching. They want teaching. They even want reproving, rebuking, and exhorting that suits their own passions. Usually that means condemning other people but letting me get away with my sin. And that really requires that the teaching and the preaching and the labor of the elder deviate from the word of God. Man wants the watchman on the wall to be silent and not disturb his desires for a worldly, happy, comfortable, sinful life. You remember Governor Felix when Paul was in prison? After some days, the new governor comes with his wife, who was Jewish, and they sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I have opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. Uh, Acts 24, 24 through 26. You know, people are alarmed when they hear the truth, especially if they are convicted that they know it's true. God is not happy. There will be a consequence. While you may escape punishment here and now, you may be able to use your wealth, your power, or your deceitfulness to get away with it. There is a God, and he will call you to account, and you will be judged. That was back in the end of verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5, uh, chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, especially about the great and terrible coming of the day of the Lord. When you preach that about them, they know they're judged. They know they're going to hell. They know it'll be torment for all eternity with no hope of escape. The place where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. And so they become angry. They become enraged. They want to silence the truth, and they want to punish the believer, especially the one who tells them that what they're doing is sin. I want to call your attention to another fact. Remember when Paul lists all the things he suffers for the kingdom, saying he's talking like a fool, but since they're doing it, I need to show you just how foolish they are. He says... He is on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren. Second Corinthians 11, verse 26. Did you notice something? He was opposed and in danger from the Jews. The Jews were the people who were raised in the faith. Yet they'd become apostate. They wouldn't accept the true doctrine. They wouldn't worship their Messiah. They became enemies of Paul. He was also in danger from the Gentiles, those who had other false religions. And third, he was in danger from false brothers, those who claimed to be believers, claimed to be Christians, yet taught and held the doctrines that were against the Scripture. Now, if we think about that, 
It's true to this day, is it not, the same dangers? People raised in the church who don't believe who want the church to accommodate their belief, which isn't faith. Want the church to preach things that are comfortable for them. Their parents want you to preach things that are comfortable for them because they don't want their children to say, I hate church. And so doctrine is compromised, or the preacher is forced out. The unbelieving world... Well, I think you've had some taste of that here in this church. Don't need to go there. And the false brothers, those who want to teach and preach heretical things, they often come into churches as visitors and stay for a while, circulate their doctrine until they're either driven out or they have a mass to either take over the church or separate. And they lead them away. We face all those same problems in to this day that Paul talks about as an elder. Now, this is part of the reason in our context, the reason we're considering this is this is what Paul is saying. The reason why we need to honor them, respect them, and love them is because of their work, and this is what their work does to them. The elder, the especially, especially the preaching elder, gets into conflict with all of those people because that's his required job. If he doesn't do that, He won't be considered a faithful servant because that's what God has called him to do. But one more group I would throw in here, even believers. Sometimes we want to have a happy, comfortable life. Sometimes we want to have peace with our unbelieving family members and neighbors. Sometimes we want our children to stay in the church and not leave because they can't stand the preaching of the truth. Almost everyone will get angry from time to time. They don't think that it's appropriate to deal with people's sin, to call them on their sin, either personally in discipleship or corporately from the pulpit. And so when their life is disrupted, when they hear that call, be holy for I am holy, without holiness no one will see the Lord, they face opposition even in amongst the believers in the church. That's what it means to be an elder. That's what it means to be over you in the Lord. Not many people want to live that life. Usually only those who have been called by the Lord will do it. And so Paul says it's important that we respect them. Now, the word respect here in the ESV, the King James has no, and the NASB has recognize. It's just a very common word. It means to see or to know. Not to know about, or not to know a fact, but to know about, to know what's happening, see what's happening. I think the ESV stretches their interpretation a bit rather than a translation, but every all the Bible translations do that sometimes, where they give an interpretation instead of a good translation. However, I do agree with their interpretation. I think it's right. It wants us to see what the elders are doing, to examine their life, to examine the result of their life, the result of their teaching, to know what all of those things, in, in the sense, and to honor them, the real church leaders. They are the stewards over the, God's house. They serve in the Lord, and we need to recognize their office, recognize what they are called to do, recognize what they are doing and listen to them. And we honor them, we respect them by 
heeding their call to the word of God and obeying when they are calling us on our sin. Especially because of their labors, that's what they're supposed to be doing. We, we honor them by accepting what they have done. And we're also told to esteem them very highly because of their work. Now, we talked about the work quite a bit already. We are to value them as leaders and hear that what they have to say. Respect the biblical leaders and do that in love. Remember what Jesus says in Mark 10 or Matthew 10, 40 to 41. Whoever receives me, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the prophet's rewards. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person receive a righteous person's reward. Well, pastors are not elders per se. We're not literally, uh, pastors are not prophets per se. We do have a form of that office. If you look at what the office does in the Old Testament of a prophet, they were not people who just went around randomly saying things about the future. They They were sent with a message. We call them messengers of the of the covenants. They would go to the people and tell them, you have rebelled against the covenant. You have broken the covenant with God. These are the consequences God is threatening. And these are the promises of hope that God will give you. And they called them to repent. Sometimes they were sent to individual men like Nathan to David. But most of the time they were sent to the whole people. I want to read a couple of verses that help us see that. In Isaiah 24, 5, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the law, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. This is the whole conviction to the whole world. The man who transgressed my covenant and did not keep terms of the covenant they made with me, I will make him like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. Jeremiah 34, 18. Uh, We've learned from secular writings from pre-Christian era that covenants in the Middle East, they would often cut an animal in half, put the parts on both sides, and you would pass in between them as part of your oath of the covenant. And the idea was if you broke the covenant, you would be cut in two like that. You would be punished. And we see that here in, in the covenant God made with Abraham. But it was God who passed between the animals, saying, I will never break my covenant, and this will show you that. Obviously, nobody's going to cut God in two, so he can't be breaking his covenant. But he says, the prophets has gone there to tell them they have broken the covenant, and God will do to them what they swore by oath in the covenant. Another one, therefore I have hewn them by prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth. My judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me, Hosea 6, 5 through 7. The prophet's job was to go to the people and proclaim to them how they had sinned, call them to repentance, and of course give them hope for the future. And those are very much the same tasks assigned to the pastors, the teachers. 
the elders. We, we're under shepherds of the good shepherd. Uh, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. However, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Among the brothers, they were to be especially esteemed. We learn that if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we've heard from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If you despise any of God's children, you're condemned because they're his children. How much more so for the children who are appointed to be leaders? God has called and appointed to be laborers over you. How much more not loving them will be considered a horrible, evil sin? Think about the reasons Paul has given for their work. Right? We are to love them and respect them and honor them, basically obey them and heed their, their calling as watchmen on the wall. Their job is to teach us God's word so we know God better. The elders' job is to teach us what God loves and what God hates so that we may please him better. Their job is to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience in teaching. We need to know our sins and walk in the light. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge the elder is to give, but to help with the practical application in our lives personally. And think of the opposition this will bring from all sources. So Paul calls them to respect and esteem biblical leaders in love. And this is as necessary an admonition today as it was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this. In my reading, I read one of the Puritans, and he said, The kingdom of God is esteemed very little, and its true servants of God are viewed with scorn. That was three, four hundred years ago. I don't think it's changed from Paul's day to our day. Uh, People have itching ears. They want church leaders, preachers, and teachers who will tickle them. That's why we're told to obey our leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's part of the work of the elders, keeping watch over your souls. As And they do that as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. How do you show your love to an elder and a pastor, to those over you in the Lord? Well, by keeping his commandments revealed from scriptures, repenting of their sins, living a godly life. All of these things, those elders and those pastors are trying to help you do. And sometimes it comes down to discipling, disciplining, and counseling and respecting and honoring that when it needs to be done. I think one of the greatest joys I had in Cambodia was when I got very upset about 
outsiders not being welcomed in the church because they didn't want to share the food and the gifts with them. When I preached a message on that and rebuked them, they repented in tears. I probably didn't need to repent to preach a message. I probably could have just gone to the people and spoken to them. I didn't think they were that tender-hearted, but that's how you show honor and respect to an elder is by hearing your sin, acknowledging it, whether it be from the pulpit, not for you personally, or in personal consultation. Uh, Let them do it without groaning, he says. If we do this right, if we are listening, we are heeding, we are trying to grow, we are trying to repent, most importantly, of sin and do better, then we can have peace. Be at peace among yourselves, the end of verse 13. We can have peace. Now, some commentators want to detach this from verse 12 and 13 and attach it to 14 only. But I don't think that's right. A church which doesn't honor and respect its leaders, its biblical leaders, is going to be a very dysfunctional church. It's going to be in turmoil. If some people do not listen to and honor and respect the truth of God's word, they will end up in conflict with those who do respect and honor God's word. It doesn't really matter if the fault is with the leader or the congregation. If it's not working right because of not doing the jobs right, not repent, not calling to repentance and not repenting and all of those things, then the congregation will not have peace. Peace really needs to begin, though, with the elders. Notice we've read several times already, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, rebuke and exhort. We'll, we'll trim it there. We'll never read the rest. What was the rest? with complete patience and teaching. Pastors sometimes lose patience with their congregations. And what happens? They burn the church. They burn their career. They burn their ministry. And again, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, not quarrelsome, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, Why are you to be not quarrelsome, patiently enduring evil and correcting with gentleness? He continues, Paul continues, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. So note, he's talking about people who are serving Satan in the church, Patiently enduring evil, not being quarrelsome, correcting with gentleness. Speaking of God assigning to giving men to be teachers and preachers, he says that the reason Paul in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says that it's so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness of deceitful schemes. The New Testament refers to false teachers and false prophets that way over and over again. Rather, and this is the key, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way unto him who is ahead. Speaking the truth, not in anger, not in bitterness, not in resentment, not in the hopes that they'll be condemned. Speaking the truth in love for the purpose that God may grant them repentance. 
that the pastors and elders are not doing their job with patience, with love, with grace, with gentleness, then there will not be any peace in the church. And if the people are not receiving the job done by the elders with grace and patience and long-suffering, then they will also not, there will not be any peace in the church. And we are called to have peace with everyone, are we not? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. Well, there's a limit to how much peace the children of God will have with the children of the devil. But if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 18 through 21. Peace with everyone, even the unbelievers. It's hard, but we are called to it. More important, though, we are called to peace with our brothers, with our fellow believers. We've know we've come to love one another, we'll have peace with one another. As John says, we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. You know, keep, the pastor calls us to obey the commandments. He challenges us when we're wrong. If we are keeping the commandments, that shows that we love God, we love our brother, and that is showing love to the elders, to the pastors. You remember, though, what causes quarrels and fights amongst us? James Chapter 4, the first four verses. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Not talking about holy passions for God. Talking about passions for sin. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covenant and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Obedience to God and indeed, if obedience to God and God himself are not the first things in our life, then our life will not be able to have peace. We'll have fighting and quarreling. Why is peace even possible? We all have these sinful passions. Well, peace starts with our peace with God. We are reconciled to Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And this is all from God, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Note that it is Christ, his death on the cross, that reconciles us to God who had nothing but wrath for us in our sin. But note also that he has given to us, to the elders, to the pastors, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake you made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
ministers and elders are ambassadors of Christ. All Christians really are ambassadors of Christ, but especially the ministers. They are trying to reconcile people to God by calling them to repentance. It's another reason why we should esteem them highly in their work. Because we have peace with God through the blood of Christ, because we are a new creation in him, we have a new heart, a new life, we are able to have peace. Peace with God, peace with men, especially peace with our brothers. Before we lived in rebellion against God and against his righteous commands and contempt of the messenger. But now, if we really are repentant, we should love the messenger and support and help the elders and the pastors. Remember this peace is why Jesus came to earth. Remember the angels sang in his birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But that peace comes through the blood of the cross. That peace comes through obedience to him and to his revealed will. I'm thankful that in the two ministries I've had in my Christian life, I've had wonderful support and joy from the congregation. I preach this message not because you need it, but because we've come to it in the text. But it is something we should keep in mind. I won't live forever. I won't minister forever. You'll have another pastor someday. You'll have new church, new elders. These are things to keep in mind in honoring the work of the Lord and his servants. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have set men above us in your kingdom, men whose task it is to guide us, to lead us, to shepherd us, that we might know you better, that we might glorify you more, that we might be prepared to meet you on that day. I thank you, Lord, that in my life I had a godly pastor who I've always looked up to and honored and respected. And pray, Lord, that all your children would have such men in their lives. And we ask for grace that we would love such men and support such men and help such men and honor such men and obey when they preach the word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.